This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This week on Hangar Talk, Piper and Cessna owners speak up about their spar issues. And PSI testing revenue to FBOs and schools is slashed. MT tests the propeller of endless blades. Charting changes challenge pilots. Also, the NOTAM system decides to take a nap. Ian, are you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do it. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Yeah, 1056, turn right, heading 130, contact final 1324. Turn right, With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. I'm David Tulis. David, uh, our guest this week is somebody that Julie Walker spoke with, Bruno Brasilino. I hope I got that right. Um, he's, of course, Brazilian. Uh, he has a, I think it's an Instagram channel yeah. that he does a lot of posting on with his tiger. And it's really cool because he flies all around kind of the New York area. And um, he's got this great story about even controllers recognizing him now. And it, I love his stuff because it's it's um, it's educational and fun. Yeah, right? he he does. He was, uh, I saw one of his recent posts that he was surprised that one of the ATC folks called him out and said, hey, are you fly with Bruno? And and he was. And so in, yeah. Instagram is uh, fly underscore with underscore Bruno. And I look forward to hearing that interview in just a few minutes. Cool. All right. So let's get to the news. We're going to start off with the Piper Cessna spar issues. Now, um, there's no real news here. So if you own a Piper or Cessna, just, you know, Take a deep breath because uh, we're not going to scare you with anything. It's We just want to revisit this a little bit because it is such a big issue for owners of certain Cessnas and Pipers, some of these ADs that have come out. So much so that AOPA has sent surveys now to the owners of some of these airplanes to try and get a better understanding of how much these, inspect, these eddy current inspections cost, how available are they, and um, I think most importantly, how are they performing during the inspections? Right, right. So it is interesting. You know, I was telling listeners earlier that I had a heart cell propeller AD on my Mooney that necessitated uh, eddy current inspection. I had to fly about 50 miles to get that eddy current inspection. It looks like the answer to the survey uh, that, we, um, that we sent out, a lot of the folks, 92% of the respondents, in fact, reported that services were available within about 150 miles. Hmm. That's not terrible. 77% reported eddy current inspections availability within about 50, 50 miles. And why is this important, Ian? It's because if you have the eddy current inspection on those wing attach bolts, that area of the spar, which tends to get... Uh, elongated and, mm -hmm. and, and and some play in the wings right there. You know, if the, your aircraft is doomed that you need to, to get that addressed, well, the FAA won't issue a ferry permit for you to reposition that airplane. 
So the proximity is really important. That is important. Yeah. And obviously the issue is so important because there have been accidents because of spars, but I think there's really a lot to learn here about how those aircraft were operated. That's really important. Right. You know, the age of the aircraft in terms of airframe hours, that's also important. And it's a really technical issue, obviously. And so you found this great YouTube video that we're showing now with, I think it's what, aircraft components, I think they're called? Airframe components. And airframe this components. really explains yeah. what the deal is. And it's interesting, Ian, I was going to uh, mention that during the, uh, the course of watching that video, I learned that the design of that wing spar area, that attachment fitting has changed over the years. Mm. Uh, so the new, the new design uh, does not lend itself to elongating the holes where the older design Design had a bushing that would sometimes fall out. Mm, yeah. And obviously, very interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And obviously, there's so many implications here that go beyond just the, the current affected airplanes with these ADs for the whole fleet. We know that our airplanes yeah. are getting just a little bit older in average age. And so the spar is one of those areas of concern. And so I think it's important that when pilots do these inspections, uh, well, mechanics and pilots take them for the inspections, especially because they, they want to report the good news. So the FAA is going to work off that data. They're going to work off how many cracks are found and, and you know, elongated holes and how many look just fine. And so it's really important that when people get inspected that they do report that everything's good. And so that's part of what AOPA is trying to gather is what do you find on these inspections? So we can go back to the FAA and say, really, this is not a fleet-wide problem, just for, as an example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it depends, like you said, Ian, on how the aircraft are used, how many flight hours they've had, how much of a demanding environment they've operated in. And so folks can call the AOPA PIC. Um, PIC is at 800 872 2672. We were asking about that. I was asking about this before the show. It's a uh, 800 USA AOPA. If you want to do it, uh, you know, on your on your phone with with an alphanumeric keypad. But 800-872-2672, talk to one of the experts at PIC, and they are experts, and they do know a lot about this, and they'll pass that info on to our advocacy folks yeah, yeah, that's and a great the point. FAA. So speaking of advocacy folks, we want to move on to this next issue, which we know that, might, that it might not affect you personally now, or so you think, but um, we gather that there will be long-term impacts down the road, and that is that PSI, the Provider of Testing Services for Airman Knowledge Testing, obviously you go and get the test at a flight school, but PSI you know, administers the test. Mm -hmm. Um, through the flight school. They give money back to the flight schools, of course, to, to help administer those. And as of January 1st, have significantly slashed the fees that they're going to be giving to the flight schools. Yeah, let's make the point, first of all, that as a consumer, as someone who's going to get tested, whether it's for your private or your instrument, uh, commercial, etc., the testing fee is, has not changed. Yeah, it's important. about 175 bucks. That's what it is locally. Um that hasn't changed, but the revenue to the FBOs, uh, flight schools, et cetera, has been mm -hmm. cut by two-thirds. And yet again, a lot of folks have called into our PIC office asking, did we know about this? What are we doing about that? What's AOPA doing about it? And we have been engaged for a while on this topic, yeah. Ian. Yeah, that's right. So. Uh, we actually had sent a letter to PSI, had a lot of uh, follow-up conversations, and they responded. We addressed these concerns uh, about test access and costs for the end user. Uh, PSI said, thanks for the feedback, but no thanks. So they've, at least for the meantime, have decided they're going to keep the structure the way it is. They know they're going to lose testing centers because of it. They've admitted as much. They think they have the opportunity to bring others on board, and they've given some data to the FAA to support that. Whether that ultimately happens or not, I don't know. 
you know, for you and I on the, when we're in the East coast, there's lots of flight schools. It's easy to drive from one to the other. It's probably not a huge deal, but if you live out West, the mountain West yeah. in Alaska or something like Absolutely that, Absolutely a problem, you know, rural Texas or something, it's like, you could have to go hundreds of miles to, to take a test. Yeah. I've actually been doing a little flight planning, uh, how to get my tripacer back from Oregon to the East coast and, you know, going through the inner mountain region, uh, th- there are many places with no airports, mm-hmm. um, or there might be a few airports, but then there's no guarantee that there's going to be a bona fide testing center there or nearby. Yeah. And the yeah. thing is, you know, the FBOs and the flight schools, they, they really do have to keep an eye on the, um, I guess on the technology, a little bit on yeah. the software make sure that's where, you know, make sure that you as a, as a potential, uh, test taker are not going to cheat. You know, mm-hmm. I remember I had to, you know, even back before cell phones, I mean, I had to make sure the only calculator I had was an aviation specific For function or, right, yeah, right. or a flight t- computer. Yeah, yeah. Empty your pockets, the whole deal. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It costs the flight schools a lot of time. I mean, they have to maintain the space and uh-huh. they have to pay the proctor and everything else. So yeah, exactly. it's, it's definitely a concern. So I'm sure we'll talk more about that in the future. Dave, I want to talk about something cool now. And that Very is cool. what, I, what yes, I'm calling I agree. The, <laughs> the prop of endless blades. Um, and this is something that MT has tested, MT being the manufacturer over in Europe. And of course, a lot of people love their composite props. They're at the forefront of a lot of prop technology. They have tested an 11 blade propeller, if you can believe it. It might as well be a solid disc at that I know. point. You know? I mean, it's like, <laughs> this thing looks incredible. If folks haven't yeah. got a chance to look at it, um, take take a peek at uh, AOPA.org. Look for Nikki Britton's story about the German-based propeller company, MT Propeller. So they tried it out on a Piper PA31 powered by Pratt & Whitney turbine engines. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's pretty interesting. I think that the I think what we'll see out of this is that it might change the the noise signature coming from that engine, you know, from, yeah. coming from those propellers. And that might be interesting technology for us to think about how does that trickle down? Yeah. Yeah. You that's know? a really good point. 15% increase in static thrust over a five blade. Yeah. So they, so they say, yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, flip a coin on whether this thing will actually ever make it to production, but it is cool that they're pushing the envelope there. And and I agree at a certain point, there's probably a trade-off between thrust and drag. Uh, when you get so many blades, it becomes a disc, right? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were saying. But if you can get so. 15% better efficiency, as compared to another type of propeller, you know, everyone yeah. wants to save some money, get a little bit more horsepower, that kind of thing. That's significant. It could work, yep. you know, especially on some of the yeah. higher end. Um, you know, there's some there's some turbine powered higher end uh, singles that are out there that might benefit from that same technology. You know, so yeah. uh, I, you know, yeah. in the GA world, so that's very cool. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. All right, so two stories now that we're going to finish, and both of them are. Big time fails, I think, by the FAA. This is me personally speaking. So the first is sectionals. And this is something that people have definitely been calling in to the PIC about. If you fly near border regions, especially with Canada or Mexico, you no doubt know that the information you get on a sectional for Canada or Mexico or the Caribbean, at least parts of the Caribbean, is as reliable as it is for the U.S. And so that's not going to be the case anymore because the FAA has decided to pull back on that data 
and essentially gray out half of what they used to show. Yeah, the foreign detail is going to be missing from future charts. And the reason why, um, the reason the FAA gave for that is that info hadn't been updated all that regularly anyway. You mm-hmm. know, we have a 56-day charting cycle here. Yeah. And, um, and some of those were missing the cycle. And so instead of, I guess, being liable for having wrong info or outdated info, they just said, oh, heck, we'll just take it all away. Take it off. Which yeah. I'm not sure. Sure is a great idea. If you live in the Great Lakes area in Ohio, you live up in uh, Michigan, uh, you know, even uh, north, uh, upstate New York, uh, maybe um, near Erie, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. You know, you're near Canada, yeah. and so you want that information. And uh, a lot of times, uh, in fact, I talked to Dave Hirschman, and you know, coming back from certain parts of uh, of the Great Lakes, you could fly you on fly the Canadian Canada. side. Exactly, a bit. that's right, exactly right. right. Yeah. And you want to know that information. Now, you can get it elsewhere. You can get it from a couple other charting sources. You can pay more money on ForeFlight and get it um, than the Canadian subscription. But we are used to seeing that on our normal yeah. charts and, and on our, our PDAs. So that's a big, a big miss. I agree with the folks that, um, who have called our PIC and have actually complained on some of the uh, pilot mm-hmm. forums that I pay mm-hmm. attention to. Uh, like pilotsofamerica.com and 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 some of the others. So uh, I, you know, am just I'm surprised that we would see that. Although, Ian, it's not. It has not been done in a vacuum. This actually was. Uh, there was a notice that was posted last year that said this might happen, and it just was implemented. That's what yeah. we're seeing. Yeah, that's right. And I've seen some people theorizing that maybe it was a cost cutting measure or something like that. But the, I mean. Really, that's you're not talking about a massive cost here when that's about collecting foreign data. And I think the data that comes from Canada especially is very reliable, probably a little less so with Mexico and the Caribbean. But I know that FAA had gotten it regularly and, it, you know, they have systems in place that made sure that it was reliable. So you nailed it. I mean, the, the issue is when the sectionals went to the 56-day update, yeah. they just weren't getting it often enough. And rather than publish something that's slightly outdated they uh, elected to take it off. So I, yeah, this is this is a big loss. And so, yeah, you can go to Sporties and, and buy charts for Canada and other places, uh-huh. but that sectional, to have that confidence in the sectional yeah. and just be able to use that one thing, especially like you said, when you're just crossing a lake or something like that, that was huge. And that, was. that's, I think, going to be a big loss. Well, and also, like you said, on the, our southern border with Mexico, listen, Ian, if you're flying around in Texas and that area, the Big Bend area, and you have a flight emergency, it would be nice to know that there are airports nearby within the gliding range uh, for you to get to. So I I think that that's a problem. And that actually might lead us to the other part of this discussion that we're going to have right now, which is the fact that some of the private airports that were previously charted on the VFR charts are not going to be charted any longer. And there are a lot of people upset about that, Ian. So remind me about the spec. Is this anything under 1,500 feet? Is that right? Basically, yeah. And so the the way that this was um, sort of announced, uh, that the visual flight rules aeronautical charts will no longer make reference to emergency value in private airport charting unless... They have a landmark value. In other words, unless you could see them hmm. pretty well, 
or they're located near something. God, how subjective that, is that? That's crazy. It would seem to me that it would be more labor intensive to decide which has land. Yeah, value exactly. And which doesn't. I mean, it, what are they going to do? Fly over and test all these? I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Why not just leave it? Well, listen. When you're a student pilot and you're got you're you know you're going out of the fold for the first or second time. You want to know where your emergency airfields are, and yeah. I would much rather know where one is even now, you know, as a as a pilot with about a thousand hours or so. That mm-hmm. I still want to know where their emergency airfields are, and it just makes me feel more warm and fuzzy to know that there's something there. Plus, if you have an emergency and you ask a controller, um, you know, it is possible you can get vectored to uh, to one uh, of those fields. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's um, no offense to the lawyers who are listening, but that is like lawyers run amok, right? When they're worried about, oh, is it going to be the exact right specs for an emergency strip? And it's like, man, we'll take anything. We'll take oh, something yeah. that's cleared out of the crops as long as it's as long as it's maybe still there. Right. Yeah. That's better than nothing. So. So, again, uh, PIC, yeah. our PIC folks have been fielding questions about this for a while. We had an article on it back last year um, on AAPA.org that said this, this would probably happen. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so we want to finish off the news with something that everybody's been talking about, and that is the blue screen of death that happened to the NOTAM system as we record this. uh, What, it happened yesterday, two days ago, I think. Just an unbelievable sequence of events, David, that happened here. Um, The NOTAM system we know we all rely on. It's part of the regulatory requirements before we take off. Yeah. And so we all woke up Wednesday morning and it was like, oh, yeah, by the way, nobody's flying because the NOTAM system is down. And you just think, how is it even possible that something like this could happen? Yeah, the FAA issued a ground stop uh, countrywide about, you know, in the morning, uh, East Coast time, because they figured that would be the best time to reboot the computer. They knew it would take yeah. about 90 minutes to get that going. And yeah. they were uh, oh, I just, oh, so I just, wrong about that. Can you? Can you, I mean, you can imagine the conversation. This is like, you know, you call your IT department and it's like, oh man, I got this problem. My computer's running slow. They're like, oh, just do a restart. Yeah. And so it's like, it's like somebody in the IT department at FA was like, oh, just do a restart. Unplug it and plug system. it back in. It'll be fine, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I complained when my laptop takes about 30 or 45 seconds to reboot, but 90 minutes. I mean, that's a pretty yeah. long time. And listen, Ian, it's not just all about commercial airlines. Let's make that perfectly clear. You know, about 2000 GA flights were... Um, were also affected too, and uh, 6,600 commercial airline flights. But, you know, you're mm-hmm. talking about a ground stop on the East Coast where people are, listen, on the East Coast, that 6.30 a.m. flight, uh, if you're going commercial, is a common mm-hmm. flight. Even yeah. as a private pilot or an IFR pilot, you are trying to get out early in the morning, generally, when the weather is more favorable mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Sure. And sure. so uh, this is a really big snafu. I've got I did some further um, digging on that, but um, but I wanted to say that you know right off the bat I do check the notams because I almost got in trouble by not checking them one oh, time. Oh, you're good boy. Well, nice. I, That's I w- good. Da- I won't say I won't say my, I won't <laughs> say it's Dave Hirschman and I my uh, instructor, but <clears throat> one of my instructors and I were 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 doing a um, a flight around here and. And I forgot to check NOTAMs at an airport we were intending to go to. And when I got over there, noticed that there was, there were like, it was like construction equipment on the runway. Yeah. And so I announced my intentions and we had a bulky radio at the time too. Mm. So it got to be um, a, little a little bit more stressful than it needs to be. Yeah. And yeah. the thing is, I normally do check, uh, check the NOTAMs. And why? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, there's a lot more drone 
uh, you know, drone ops now mm-hmm. than we used to have. I'm pretty point. sensitive to the VIP TFRs, the temporary flight restrictions yeah. for for VIPs and over yeah. stadiums because I've I've done yes. some aerial photography over stadiums um, and you know you you got to you got to respect the distance laterally and vertically for that. And listen, Ian, you know, during times of national disasters, you know, fires out west, hurricanes and mm-hmm. tornadoes, the airspace is closed. And we get back to that that one snafu that we need to look at in ninety one point one zero three in the FARs that every pilot before they fly needs to become familiar with all available information concerning yeah. that flight. So yeah, that's a yeah, gotcha. important. Yeah, so CNN did some reporting on this and and found that I think it was they were doing the restarted the update or whatever it was to not only the primary system but also the backup right, system right. uh it was a corrupt file or something and so they kind of both happened at the same what time is a, and what does that you, mean a corrupt file like what happened I, you know, to that to, i don't know does it mean that someone was going to have an air show and they uploaded uh i don't know a word document that had a virus i, I, don't, I don't know i don't think so they said there i don't i didn't hear anything about a virus it was like you know maybe it's just something that who knows i'm not an IT corrupt guy. file um I will say it made international news, and for good reason, because the FAA is often, the U.S., I will say, is is seen as the preeminent the leader. Absolutely. The leader. aerospace country in the world. And so when the whole country goes down because of a computer flop, it's like that makes international news because it has major implications, not only to all the flights that are trying to head out internationally but also just about the reputation of the system and is it really the safest and is it really the most efficient and everything else and so these old systems the NOTAM system which we constantly harp on clear i mean here's a perfect example of how it needs to be updated one well, of the many yes ways. well i agree with you but I, I want to disagree with you on one point listen because they pulled a ground stop that kept it as being the safest airspace well, system true. in the world yeah. too because yeah. of that and um but i agree with you that uh we need to lead the way and i want to say one other thing a friend of mine works for the faa and let me know that the atis system is also on very ancient legs too hmm. so before that goes down maybe congress will take a look at the funding for the infrastructure on uh, on the NOTAMs and on the ATIS. And listen, on the ATIS and the NOTAM systems, Ian, I mean, we I live in the D.C. area, and the first few pages are all about the— Oh, the, it's just noise. and It's yeah. all about the, the, yeah. the CIFRA and the freeze here in the D.C. area, which we've had now yeah. since for like 20 years. Yeah, nothing know? new. Yeah, all the new stuff. I mean, we talked about this with the Hurricane Ian, and that the closed airport notums were like number 65 in the list or something like yeah. that. It's like, man, that stuff should be flashing red at the top. It it's should like, be. It's, it should it's be. crazy. So, yeah, crazy. Uh, there's some issues that need to be addressed— as we move forward, I think maybe this will give uh, give the wake up call to when we're talking about funding, yeah. which is coming up pretty soon. We'll probably talk about yeah, this more true. in the near yeah, future. I think so. All right. All right. So, hey, speaking of the East Coast, somebody who's doing a lot of flying around there is Bruno. Uh, really excited to talk to him. I think we both really respect the kind of stuff that he's putting out and uh, really excited to hear what he has to say about it. Hi, uh, my name is Bruno Brasileiro. 
which means Brazilian in Portuguese, and I promise that's my real last name. Um, I am a private pilot, instrument rated. I got my license in 2019 uh, in New York, where I live. I then moved to New Jersey and I got my plane. Uh, it's based in Linden, New Jersey, Lima Delta Juliet. And I've been sharing my journey in aviation for the past three years in social media and uh, just sharing my experience with the rest of the world. And so when did you start flying? What, how old were you? What, what possessed well, you to start this? Uh, I, I fell in love with aviation when I was a five-year-old. Um, I loved aviation ever since. Uh, but back in Brazil, where I'm from, it wasn't that easy to pursue a career or just a hobby of aviation. So I chose a different career path. Even so, throughout my teenage, teenage years and my, as I grew up, I kept educating myself in aviation. I always liked uh, watching films, movies, reading about it, and, and whatnot. After I moved to the US, thanks to a work uh, 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 career opportunity back in 2015, uh, I met a pilot who's now a friend of mine, a very good friend, who uh, motivated me to go pursue my dream 30 years later. So I was 35 when I joined the flight school in New York City, well, in Long Island, New York, Farmingdale. I, uh, in five months later, I got my private license. I started renting planes and flying different places, experiencing different runways, airports, uh, weather, all kinds of stuff. And then six months later, I decided to get my instrument rating. I got my instrument rating through COVID. Uh, I, was, I had to dodge all of the limitations of COVID and flight schools being closed and, and, and everything. But in June 2020, I got my, my ticket. And that's when I decided or realized I was committed to aviation for life. So instead of renting planes, I decided to get my own plane, which I'm standing right next to now. So what you do with aviation is you do a blog or a podcast or what, do, what are you doing that, and what is your message when you do that? I, uh, ever since I started flying, because it was such a, a, a big dream for me and such a, a, a fulfillment, I started sharing my journey through Instagram and YouTube. And um, my, my purpose in doing that is to show everyone else that perhaps love aviation but hasn't taken the first step because they either think it's too late or they are too busy for it or they don't have the money for it or anything like that, that it's possible. I'm just an average guy who works nine to five but still decided to pursue his dream, was able to get through his licenses, to, uh, got my, my private and my instrument and even my plane. And whenever I'm not working uh, and I'm not home, I'm flying and uh, because I, I want to be proficient, I want to be current, but most importantly, flying is like a therapy to me these days. And whenever I'm up there, all of my problems and everything else stays on the ground, literally. And it's the best part of my day. So fly with Bruno is your handle. Fly underline with underline Bruno. And what does, if someone's going to watch or someone's going to come to your channel, what would they see? What are, are you taking them on travels? Are you taking them on uh, lessons or what's your message i uh my message is or my main goal is to show how fun aviation can be whether you have it as a hobby or as a career in my case as a hobby uh i sh I, I take them on every every place i travel all of the amazing things that you can only do on a plane 
for instance, flying over the Niagara Falls or taking a weekend trip to somewhere that would be too far to drive, such as Maine, New Hampshire, uh, Maryland, taking a weekend trip to Florida and back, and obviously flying to Sun and Fun, Oshkosh, and other fly-ins, especially the Grumman fly-ins, which are adventures or places or, or experiences you wouldn't get to have without actually flying and playing to these places. Have you heard from any of your followers that they've, you've inspired them? I get messages on like, almost every day saying for people that are just thanking me because they say your content uh, helped me pursue my, my, my dream of becoming a pilot or I thought it w I was too old but after I watched you I decided to pursue or I've been a pilot for for 20 years but I haven't flown in a while and you inspired me to actually get back to it. So I get a lot of messages of people that basically say that I just helped uh, show them that aviation is worth it and all the, the, the effort that you put into it is worth it and there's something very fun on the other side. I'm super thankful for that and that's what keeps me going and I post every day because I know that somewhere in the world somebody's watching this and thinking, huh, if he can do it, so can I. And tell me a little bit about your aircraft. Uh, this is a Grumman Cheetah, uh, Grumman AA-5A Cheetah. It's a 1977 model uh, with, uh, I think, 2,500 2, hours on the airframe and another 800 hours on the engine. I got this plane back in July 2020. Ever since, I've upgraded the panel because I wanted it to be uh, a solid IFR platform. I take very good care of the plane, did a lot of other uh, necessary upgrades to fix squawks that had been here for a while. Um, I want this to be a safe plane, but most importantly, it's a plane that has taken me anywhere that I wanted to go without ever, me leaving, me st ever leaving me stranded or um, giving me any, any headaches. It flies great, it treats me well, I treat, I treat it well, and I always fly with my little buddy Mars, who the internet helped me name, and so it's Bruno and Mars flying everywhere. Okay. I was going to ask you if your airplane has a nickname, but I guess the airplane doesn't need one because we've got Bruno and Mars. And Mars is a she cheetah, which is the name of the plane. Grumman's uh, used to, when they, they, they existed, Grumman's always named their planes after felines. Cheetah is one of them as tigers, as wildcats, tomcats, and all of that. So uh, a lot of people ask me, why didn't you go uh, uh, or pick a Cherokee or a 172 that are sort of like the go-to options, especially because everybody trains on them. That was my go-to. But as soon as I started uh, shopping for a plane, I realized how um, hard it was to find one that it was in good shape, that, was, uh, that, that had its you know, maintenance uh, up to date. And uh, sometimes you would find one that was a all the way across the country and by the time you called the owner to ask about the plane um, somebody else would have you know already bought it or secured it so I started to just put a list of all of the planes that would fit in that same category that could be an option and I got a, actually a message from someone who knew that this plane would be for sale soon the seller or the owner then uh, hadn't hadn't advertised it yet so I gave him a call and he uh, and, and I real I, I found out that the plane was actually 60 miles from my apartment, which made it so much easier because I was looking at planes that were in Florida, California, Arizona, Oregon, you name it. So when I, I found a plane that was near me, and I I wasn't looking for a Grumman uh, specifically, but as this, the minute I saw the plane, I was like, this is a big opportunity. And the other funny thing is, as I drove to the airport, 
uh, with having all of these thoughts like what am I doing I'm buying a plane is this the stupidest thing I've ever did or like I, am I am I doing this consciously uh, is, is ownership really for me and I remember pulling up to the next to the plane who was tied down which was tied down on, on the ramp and I looked at the tail number which back then I didn't know and it said 84U and I look at the 4U and it says you know what I, I thought maybe it's talking to me it's for me so I'm gonna do it I remember I took the plane flying that day as soon as I landed, I looked to the seller who was sitting on the right seat and I said, I want it, I don't care. And it was the best decision I've ever done in my life. So I thank everybody that follows me for, for their support. Um, you know, the reason when you share something that you love, it's one of the most fulfilling things is to know that other people are as passionate about it as you are. Um, and I'm not only thrilled and flattered to see that a lot of people enjoy my content just because they like aviation, but most importantly, that a lot of people feel inspired to either start pursuing their aviation dreams, start pursuing their career in aviation, where, wherever they are, and just doing what I do, just flying my own plane or, uh, around you know, the United States, the Northeast, uh, it's just humbling to me that it, it helps feel like a lot of other people's dreams for aviation. And this is the sole purpose of everything I do, is to inspire more people to get into aviation because it's the most amazing thing I've ever done. So thanks to Julie for getting that interview. And David, I have a lot of respect for people who put out really, I guess, thoughtful and interesting commentary and content and, and where they they talk about some of their own struggles or challenges, things they could do better. And he's really good at that, sort of analyzing his own flights and, and sharing that with the world and showing all the all the sides to being a pilot and sharing some of that joy and taking us along for the ride. I think that's, yeah. you know, we live in vicariously, uh, flying with Bruno. So I appreciate Julie grabbing, uh, Bruno and, and Josh Cochran for getting the video, uh, together and the audio for us to share with our folks. And, and maybe one of these days you and I could do something like that and we'll get yeah. that going too. All right, cool. Hey, that's all the time we have. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. I'm David Tulis, and don't forget you can find us at aopa.org slash hangertalk and now on the YouTube channel. So find us either place, and we look forward to seeing you next time. All right, we'll see you. Hangertalk from AOPA, your freedom to fly.